verses 5 and 6. And before I do, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we're so thankful to be here uh, once again uh, to praise you and, and to uh, just be here and to listen to what your word has to say to us, Father. And just be with uh, Brother Steve as he brings a lesson this morning. Uh, bless him and his family as they serve you and guide him uh, through his lesson. And may we have the open minds and open hearts and open ears, Father, to actually hear what you have to say to us, Father. And may we just take those words and, and live by them, Father, throughout this uh, day, throughout this week, uh, throughout our lives. I uh, just thank you for those that are visiting today and bless them and uh, just be with them and their days ahead too, Father. And pray, Father, for those that are ill, not feeling well, not be able to be here today and bless them that they can get their health back and be back here once again and be with those that uh, have had surgeries and different things in their lives that uh, have uh, prevented them from being here and they're here once again and pray for their healing, Father, and Pray, Father, that you be with the young, uh, the youth, Father, that uh, those that have gone back to college and just pray that uh, you bless them as they travel there and, and through their studies that uh, things, uh, Father, will get better, that everything can uh, be back to normal, Father, and uh, that they can continue with their studies and uh, be with the schools and teachers and the young kids, Father, as they go back to school and uh, just uh, watch over them and, and just uh, be with each and every one, Father. Uh, thank you so much for loving us and for Jesus uh, going to that cross for each and every one. And forgive us when we fall short, Father, and may we strive to do those things that please you. Bless us now as we look into your word and, and just guide us, Father, in the direction you want us to go. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> John 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Good morning. Look at everybody. Glad to see you all here. Penny's smirking at me. Stop smirking, Penny. Uh oh. There we go. Anyway, I am glad to be here today. I'm glad that you all are here today. And um, we're going to be talking about baptism today. Yes! You know, Steve's talking about baptism today. Next week he's probably going to do a sermon on deacons. They should put these things on the website so we can know to bring a pillow and a blanket. Although I don't think you'll need a blanket today because it's already toasty. Um, but, you know, the thing about, the reason I'm preaching about baptism is first of all because I feel like that's what I'm called to talk about today. But baptism, um, if you're a Christian, shouldn't be a boring subject. And I'm not saying if you think it's boring, then I'm shaming you for thinking it's boring. I will rather try to explain that baptism is central to who we are. 
And I think we've misapprehended what baptism is. And as a result, our spirits are weak. I think we've misapprehended um, a lot of the things that God calls us to do. We think of baptism, at least I have thought this way, of baptism as your official entry into the club. Like your license to be a Christian. Right? If you want to drive a car, you have to go down to the DMV and get your license. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be uh, dunked in water and brought back up, and now you can be a Christian. And that is not biblical. Not at all biblical. We're not jumping through hoops because God has a really weird thing about water. That's not what it's about. We, when we talked about the communion last week, the communion isn't just eating bread and drinking grape juice because God told us to. These things are transformative. They're, you know, I know that some uh, people who call themselves Christians have all these different sacraments, right? These holy things that they do. We have two. We only have two that, because those are the only two in the Bible. There's partaking the Lord's Supper, and I... If you were here last week, I wasn't preaching, but I did make the argument through Scripture that that's transformative when we take the Lord's Supper. And if you don't think baptism is transformative, then you don't remember your baptism or you misapprehended baptism at the time. So, now are you interested a little bit? Skeptics, thank you. Thank you for the amen, Jim. It was a pity amen, but I'll take it. Just like I take pity laughter. So thank you for that, those of you who just laughed. All right, what I'm going to show you today is that baptism is the means by which we are changed from regular people into spirit-filled people. Let me say that again without messing up. Baptism is the means by which we are changed from ordinary people into Spirit-filled people. And that is why we are baptized. Yes, also because Jesus said that we should be baptized to fill all righteousness. Over and over again it says, be baptized so that you can become a Christian. Um, it doesn't talk about people... Um, in Acts, when it talks about people becoming part of the body, it doesn't say they believed and were made Christians. It always says they were baptized and added to their number. So yes, there is that thing that baptism makes you a Christian, but not because you're checking a box, but because it's changing who you are. And unfortunately, we have a very deistic view of the world that has come, I don't know who I was ranting about this to last week, but our founding fathers were Christians, yes, but they were also deistic. In other words, they're like, you know, if you believe in, in miracles and things like that, then that's like old age superstition. And we all, we all agree with that, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't agree with that because the, the Bible never said... God turned off the faucet of supernatural. Taking the supernatural out of Christianity takes Jesus out of Christianity. 
Because what good is God, what good is Jesus, if they're just standing by watching, doing nothing while we go about our lives? You guys tracking me here? You smell what I'm cooking? All right. So let's stop thinking of our walk with God in deistic terms as our founding fathers in this country did. Because, yes, the miraculous does happen because God is alive. Baptism isn't just plunging into water. And the Bible says it's not just plunging into water, and we skip over those things. I'm not going to bring all of them up today, but I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Why is baptism necessary then? Well, it talks in Acts over and over again about uh, people being Spirit-filled. This is a painting, I don't know, some Renaissance painting of St. Stephen. Not the one talking to you right now. But um, St. Stephen, don't pity laugh at me, wife. St. Stephen um, in Acts uh, chapter 6, right? <laughs> um, yes, probably. Yes, Acts chapter 6. It says that he was filled, now you all are looking. It says he was filled with the Spirit and he began to speak. Well, how did he get filled with the Spirit? Chapter 7, that's what I said. Chapter 7. Um, he began to speak because he was filled with the Spirit. And over and over again in Acts, it talks about people doing things because they were sp filled with the Spirit. Now, in our deistic view of the world that nothing supernatural happens anymore, well, being filled with the Spirit is just a figure of speech, right? Wrong. It's not a figure of speech. It's not something that used to happen. And again, I feel like we have to go over this over and over again, but that's fine. That's what I get paid for. There's a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit and miraculous signs from the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I believe the miraculous... Well, we talk about this on Wednesday. The miraculous signs were given to the apostles who were administering to the Jews because the Jews always demanded signs. But that doesn't mean the Spirit is gone. I bet a lot of people in here can quote Acts 2.38. And we will get to that... Um, well, yeah, we'll get to that later. So the reason that we're filled with the Spirit is we first of all have to look at what's the problem in the universe. The problem in the universe is that we were created to be perfect. That we were created to walk with God. And because we chose sin, we can't be in God's presence anymore. Because if you look over and over again in the Bible, whenever God is present, that which is impure gets burned. You remember when Moses was talking to God, he couldn't even get near a bush. It wasn't God, it was just a holy bush. And he had to take his shoes off because nothing impure can come before God. And nothing impure could touch the mountain on which the Lord rested in Exodus. Remember that when he gives out the Ten Commandments? So then, if we're separated from God, 
the only way we can get close to God is to be pure. Because if we're not pure, we will instantly die. So how can we be Spirit-filled people if we're also sinful people? Well, we have to be cleansed of our sins. And those of us who are Christians and who fully accept the gift that Jesus gives us, we are cleansed of our sins. You, if you're a Christian, if you're baptized, if you've confessed to Jesus your sins, then you are free from sin. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Do you feel that on a heart level? You should as a Christian. I use the word should. Should is a shaming word, I realize, but it really is should. There's something wrong if you don't feel purified by Jesus Christ. It either means that you're not doing your part, or it means you're not accepting the gift that's freely given. But that's another sermon for another time. Jennifer asked me today, Dad, how long is the sermon going to go today? I'm sorry. I, I'm, you know everything you guys say is going to end up from the pulpit at some point, right? Poor preachers, kids. I'll try to keep it short, and we know that I will fail. So let's just accept that and move on. All right. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about what baptism is. This isn't the only Scripture on what baptism is, but I like Peter's angle on it because there are a lot of things that are true about baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18-22 through 22. For Christ suffered once for all sins. This is the Steve version. Hopefully you're looking on your screen and or in your Bible. Um, the, the righteous suffered for the unrighteous so that He could bring us to God. That's the reason why He suffered. So that we, He could bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Pay attention to that. Jesus was put to death in the flesh and was made alive in the Spirit. Wasn't He alive in the Spirit before? Well, I'm just telling you what Peter wrote. And in the Spirit, He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, which that's a sermon for another day, because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, only eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So Jesus went in the Spirit to the spirits in prison hmm, and proclaimed um, to them. Interesting, but another uh, sermon for another time. So then, baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about that. You have demons. You know, 
I have some friends that have demons, I would say. I think there was a time in my life where I definitely had demons, as people say. But it might have been demons without air quotes. Really. Again, I don't have a deistic view of the world. I take the Bible for what it says. Those demons of guilt and shame, those demons of wallowing in the mud and saying, this is my lot in life. Those demons of I'm never good enough, I'm never going to be good enough, are cleansed through the power of Jesus in you. You are washed clean of everything. Baptism says, God, I can't be good enough because You offered. Because You offered, will You clean me? Because I can't clean myself. That's baptism. And you're washed clean, not of dirt. We baptize you, don't give you a scrubbing. But you're washed clean of the sin. And like Jesus, you die in body, but you become alive in spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 22. This is Paul, if you remember, who was a persecutor of the church. And Stephen in particular. Remember that? Um, Wait a minute. Yeah. So this is Paul recounting what had happened to him. This is when he's um, having to defend himself. And he's recalling how he was blinded on the road to Damascus and he went to Ananias. If you remember that story. Verse 14, And Ananias said to him, The God of our fathers appointed you, Paul, to know God's will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So this is Paul. This is Ananias saying to Paul. And by the way, Ananias isn't saying this because he just like he's a really smart guy. Ananias is walking in the spirit. He's alive in the spirit, and God gave him these words to say. You will be a witness for him, for Jesus, to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Now, how is this going to happen? Because Paul is going to be filled with the Spirit. As we see over and over and over and over again in Acts. People are filled with the Spirit. So, since Paul has received this commission, what does he have to do? Verse 16, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on Jesus' name. This is a professional Christian murderer. Whatever it is you're doing at home or at work or wherever you're doing it, I promise it's not as bad as professional Christian murderer. 
okay? He said, look, God's got a job for you. He's done miraculous things in your life because He has a purpose for you. Now, since you know His purpose, go be changed. And I'll submit to you, miraculous things have happened in your life. I guarantee you, I could sit and tell you some things that even I don't believe because I have a very deistic view put into me from birth on. And God has been melting that view away. You know what? The world is full of magic. God's magic. It's not magic. It's just the power of God. And when you see something crazy and go, no, there's no way I saw that. There's no way I saw that. And you see it again. And you see it again. And you see it again. And you're like, well, that's a crazy coinkadink, ain't it? Or maybe God is alive and doing something in your life. What are the coinkadinks in your life? I don't even like to tell about mine because I feel like I sound crazy when I talk about it, but it's true. God has called me to be a preacher for a long time through miraculous means. And I said, well, that's weird, man. Did you see that? Oh, oh boy. What's for lunch? I've done that over and over again to my own detriment. It almost killed me. It did kill me physically. I won't get into all that stuff. But God has done miraculous things in your life because He has a a purpose for you. You're not just walking around doing your time, working for the weekend. Lover boy reference. Until one day you die and hopefully you're with Jesus. That's not the way it works. God has something for you to do today. Right now. Actually, He had it for you a long time ago. And the only way you're going to do it is to die in the flesh as Jesus did and become alive in the Spirit. You're going to have to be baptized. You're going to have to be changed. And some of us were baptized and we're changed and we're like, you know, I'm not really into that change. And we need to repent. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. What? Yeah. This Spirit thing is central to the book of Acts, which is because the Spirit of God is central to God's church. So the book of Acts is a, is a history of God's church from the beginning, and it's filled top to bottom with references to the Spirit of God, whom Jesus promised He would send to us. I've already started the shouting part of today's lesson, haven't I? I get frustrated at how stupid I've been in my life and how many of Satan's lies have been jammed into my ears and my eyes. And we've been blinded by this garbage. And I hate that. It makes me upset that the devil has pulled the wool over our eyes to make us feel like God isn't there. Well, if we say that the universe exists and God doesn't do anything, that's the same thing as saying God isn't there. If we say the Spirit doesn't do anything except for He's in our Bibles, well then what, what's God doing? Playing video games? Watching Netflix? What's God up to? He's just chilling? No. 
Acts is a story, top to bottom, of the Spirit of God active with God's people who carry the Spirit in them. This junk we've been taught. It's not in the Bible. Okay, let me take another break. Acts chapter 1. At the beginning, verses 1 and 2. Luke is writing this for Theophilus, who's probably a rich, important guy. He had already written the book that we call Luke. Now he's writing another book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Did you catch that? It's real quick. How did Jesus command the apostles? Through the Spirit. Is there any reason to think he doesn't command us through the Spirit? Well, only a deistic worldview. That God doesn't do anything. Because we don't want to be like people who, who babble or you know, shake and fall down. You know, you know what? If you babble or shake or fall down, I don't understand it, but you know, that's just my experience. But I'm not going to let my fear of being like someone else who I think is laughable keep the Spirit of God out of my life. You with me? Stop saying, well, God doesn't do that. How do you know? How do you know? Who are you to say what God does or doesn't do? I'm not saying that we should be doing those things because I think there's a very good argument that those things are not spirit things anymore, but I'll make an argument. God's the ultimate authority on that. If I thought that's what God did, that's what I would be doing too. But I do know that the Spirit works in my life. I know that because I experience it. Okay, take the tone down again, Steve. Okay. Let's move on a, a little bit. Um, hold your finger there, because we're going to be coming back. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be coming right back to Acts chapter 1. Verses 20 and 21. For if... Wait a minute. That's not right. Oh, I wrote down the wrong thing. I put the wrong heading at the top, probably. All right, we're going to have to skip that one because obviously there's a typographical error. Let's just go back to Acts chapter 1.
All right. Um, verses 4 through 8. Jesus had presented himself to the apostles. And in verse 4, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John baptized with water. That's the baptism Jesus went through. But the apostles will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, So when they came together, they asked Him, Lord, are You going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has set up by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and Samaria until the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit upon the apostles gave them the power they needed to witness for Jesus Christ. And I I believe it's it's stated over and over again in Acts, but we're we're given our jobs as Paul was given his job by the Holy Spirit. Even though we're not qualified to do the job, even though we make mistakes while doing the job, even though we have a hard time with the job, we're given our job by the Holy Spirit and we're given the power to do it by the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's go to Acts 2. You guys should know this part, or a lot of you should. We've quoted this a lot. I, I think this is like the second verse I memorized as a child. The first one was John 3.16. The second one was this. So, Jesus, uh, Peter was telling everyone, they had just watched Jesus ascend, and they're like, Whoa. And he said, yeah, you just killed the Son of God. He came down to save everybody. And you guys just chose to kill Him. And now He's ascended up into heaven. And they were filled with fear and awe. And if you've ever spent time really looking at the world God has made, if you spend time looking at the stars, if you look at the size of the universe, if you really ponder the power that God has, God's power over creation, God's power over you, in those quiet moments where you're really looking at God, when you really try to see Him, you will be filled with awe and fear. And that's not a bad thing. Because God is fearfully powerful. And as they saw Jesus ascend into the heaven, they realized there's so much about this world that we just don't even understand or grasp or have any power over. We're in the same situation. And they realized we're not just walking around doing what we, whatever we feel like and God's 
off watching TV or doing a crossword puzzle somewhere. They realized at that moment, what we should realize is that God is interested and active in the world around us. If you're reading the news, you already, I'm, every week I'm going to talk bad about reading and watching the news. Sorry. You get this view that the world has gone crazy and that powerful people are trying to destroy you. Well, powerful people probably are trying to destroy you, but they don't control the world. God made the world. God cares what happens in this world. He cares what happens to you. He cares what happens to me. But we don't look for God, so we don't see God. If you look for God, you will find Him. His Spirit speaks to our spirit. All right. So I think I set that up thoroughly. Jesus has ascended up to heaven. And so he kind of explains to them, well, you killed him. Instead of listening, he's gone back to his father. Verse 36. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made this man Yeshua of Nazareth both Lord and Messiah. This Yeshua, whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, Brothers, what are we going to do? 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 You're getting that situation where you're just, you know you're in deep. Right? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? They're panicking. As they should be as everyone who defies God should be. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you will receive the gift of His Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for all your children and everybody far away, everyone whom the Lord calls to Himself. It says children. It means descendants. It means your children, your children's children, your children's 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 children. Your chi- okay, I'll stop. And everyone who's far away. This promise is for everyone. If we repent and we're baptized, calling upon the name of Jesus, Right? We will be saved and we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That seems pretty plain to me. That seems pretty plain. When you're baptized, you're not just dunked in water. You're cleansing yourself. You're doing what you can to make yourself pure, which is very little. It's pitiable. The best you can do is wash yourself. But you doing that little part to be washed, God does all the other part of truly cleansing you. Isn't that beautiful? That's God in everything. God asks us to do this little, I'm helping, look at me. Okay, yeah, you're helping, good. God just asks us to do this little part to participate. Right? And our own cleansing, which really doesn't do anything. 
but we cleanse ourselves and God does the whole rest of the cleansing. There's power in that. That's how God works. We do this tiny little, I'm helping, I'm, I'm doing something good thing, and that's all He requires of us. And He does all the hard part. Which again, if you've received a call from Christ, you do your little part, and God does all the heavy lifting. Being called by, by the Spirit is not scary, it's delightful. Because if we have the courage to just do our little part, God comes through and you see God at work in your life. All right. Going to move a little faster, as I always have to do. John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is Nicodemus going, okay, I have to be born again? What does that even mean? I'm a little bit big to be born again. He's like, oh, okay, fine. All right, listen. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I'm telling you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'll read that again. You have to be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You guys following that? When you're born of the water, <laughs> when you're <laughs> sorry, my daughter. When you're born of the water. It says it over and over again in the Bible. When we're born in the water, we're born into the Spirit. How many different parts of the Bible can tell you the same thing? Peter, Acts, Gospel of John, words of Jesus. You're born in the water and that, that you die to the flesh and you become Spirit. 1 John chapter 5. It's getting a little deep right now, and we're going to be wrapping it up here. First John chapter 5. This is a little deep, but hopefully if we're thinking about what we've been studying today, we'll start to understand this. And by the way, this is obvious to John, but because we've had this deistic worldview, we're having to really strain our brains to truly grasp what John is saying here. Jesus is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies that He is Christ. Because the Spirit is the truth. Because there are three that testify. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. What? What he's saying here, well, let's keep reading. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony of the Spirit in Himself. 
Think about that again. I'm going to read that again. You may not have caught that. I may not have caught that. Let me try that again. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony, the truthful testimony of the Spirit in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. The testimony comes from the Spirit of God. And if you don't believe it, then you're calling God a liar. And this is the testimony that the Spirit has, that God gave us eternal life. And this life that He's given us is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's really deep, but think about it. There, there are different testimonies. The water testifies that Jesus is Lord. What's the water? Baptism. In baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and there is something supernatural that occurs. The water, the baptism, testifies that Jesus is Lord. And there's something supernatural to the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, in the blood, the testimony is Jesus Christ is Lord. And thirdly, we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the testimony of the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you want the Spirit of truth, it's in you when you're baptized. And those three things testify to the truth with capital T, the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He offers us redemption from death brought on by sin. Dude. Dude. If you're having a dude moment, hopefully you don't sound like that, but if you're having a dude moment, that's something that's only happened in the last couple hundred years since the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment, where we realize that there are no goblins under my house. Yeah, that's true. There are no goblins under your house, but God still is powerful and acts in our lives powerfully on a daily basis. It's only when we started saying, well, since there are no goblins, and that also means that God doesn't do anything. What a lie! What a destructive, evil lie that is. No one until 200 years ago had any trouble understanding that, but we do. Because they understood, yes, there's witness in baptism. The Spirit's powerful in my baptism. The Spirit's powerful in communion. The Spirit's powerful in my life. And all three of those things testify to the same truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. And instead of crushing me, died for me to fix the problem I caused between Him and God. That's beautiful. That's the Gospel. Then why are you yelling? I don't know. Because it makes me mad that so many people have perpetuated these lies. Last verse, Jennifer. Then we're done, okay? All right. It's just that I get really sleepy. Well, I can understand. All right, I love you, baby. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. And that ain't a bad thing. Because I'm still alive. 
But it's not I who am alive, but it's Christ living in me. The life that I have now in the flesh, I'm actually living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the Gospel. Not something I want to tell my friends about. That's something I want to tell the world about. Amen? God is powerful and active to change the person I used to be into the person I am today and the person I shall become in the future. And that today He cleanses me of all the dirt in my soul that I have put there so that I can approach God. So that God approaches me. So that His Spirit is in me. And I can live in His Spirit. And my life in the flesh is actually, I'm animated by the Spirit of God given to me by Jesus who loved me and gave Himself so that I could live. Why would He do that? He just loves me. God is not fair. God is loving. And He spoils me really bad. He's just asking for me to do that little part. and He does the rest. Our Out of the Pulpit this week talks about how God calls us to do things. God is calling you to live a life in the Spirit. If we don't live in the Spirit, no one will see God in us. We won't grow as people, and we won't grow as a family, and we may not even be saved. You don't have to be good at living in the Spirit. You just have to be trying to live in the Spirit. Because again, God just gives us a match, matchbook to jump over. I mean, it's not, He's not asking for a lot. He's asking us to try. Because He spoils us. He loves us. He didn't send His Son to die so that He could just then condemn us and squash our face in the ground. He just asks us to get on board. Are you on board? Let's get on board. If you're not on board because you're not a Christian, well, be washed clean so that you can walk in the Spirit. If you've been denying the Spirit and grieving the Spirit, either by denying or just pretending the Spirit's not there, God can forgive you of that. If you have a praise that you want to share with us, this is a time where we all sing together and we would like anyone who has a praise or anyone who has a need to please come forward. Let us pray for you while we stand and while we sing this song.